Hey there, Web3 Explorers. Stay tuned today for a conversation from this past Outer Edge LA event, which went down March of this year, 2023, in downtown Los Angeles. This episode features a fireside conversation panel between Mark Kolker and Frank DeGods. He's a community leader and CEO making waves throughout Web3. Finally, you can watch videos from the rest of this year's event by just visiting watch.outeredge.live. You can sign up there for free to access everything you may have missed and more. See you there and enjoy today's show. Welcome to the Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. The podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. And we are back. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, fasten your seatbelts for this fireside chat with Frank DeGods. He's going to be talking with Mark Colchair from the Mark Colchair podcast. Warm round of applause for Mark Colchair and Frank the Gods, everybody. Come on. Woo. Thank you. How are we doing this morning, Frank? Oh, excellent. We had a wild night last night. The D-God party was a great time per usual. I don't know what you're talking about. It was just grinding hard at work yesterday. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Frank, so I want to give you an opportunity. The last year has been absolutely crazy. D-Gods was a relatively like unheard of project a year ago. Fast forward to where we're at right now. It's one of the largest projects in the NFT space. It's easily one of the most polarizing projects in the NFT space. And so I want to give you an opportunity to kind of reflect on what the last year has been like for you and the rest of the team. And even earlier, we were talking about somebody announced that they had paid off all the cost of their entire wedding from selling a D-God, right? Which is just a crazy, Bitcoin D-God. A Bitcoin D-God. Minted two days, three days ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So in two days, they paid off their entire wedding. So can you reflect on that? What has it been like for the last year for you and, and changing so many people's lives? Yeah, I think when we started D-Gods, the idea was to be like a builder project. We started making all these tools, like nobody remembers this, the first four or five months. And we did these like community bonding things, like D-Gods Week. We just had like these bounty challenges and we were just doing that on the side. We were like, yeah, like we're trying to build this blogging tool. We're trying to build this like Reddit thing. And we're just doing this community stuff on the side. And then like at some point, end of 2021, I realized like, fuck, all this builder stuff is kind of pointless because the community is just nuts. And we got to lock in on this. And I think this last year, what it's taught me is like the more that we go in and the more we focus on our holders and our community, the more we really influence the rest of the space. Instead of trying to go mainstream, try to tackle millions of people, we just try to make a dope experience for our 10,000 D-Gods, for our 15,000 Utes. And fuck, like that strategy has paid off in a big way. And we're not changing that strategy at all. My thinking is if we make the life of a D-God holder and a U holder fucking dope, everyone's going to want to get a D-God or a U, and we're just going to keep doing that on repeat, and I think it's just going to keep getting bigger and bigger. There we go. So next I want to talk about, there's 
a lot of trends in the NFT space, right? Like there's certain things that kind of pop off for a second, then they tend to fizzle out. And so with you guys, like you guys have always been, I guess, like thought leaders and really pushing the envelope of like what is possible and what people think is like groundbreaking and things like that in the space. So when you guys are going through the like thought process of we're going to announce something, we're building something, especially at the beginning, there were things that you guys built that didn't really have, there wasn't a great reaction to it, right? People didn't really utilize them. And so as time has gone on and you guys have kind of refined that whole creative process and coming out with things that people really want in the space, how do you build things that people don't realize they actually want, but by the time you announce them, they go crazy for them, like we've seen recently with like the Bitcoin ordinals, which we'll get into in a second? Yeah, I think that there's a lot of noise on Twitter where people want to get their own engagement. They want to like feel good about themselves. And what that leads to is a lot of dilution of basic fundamentals. So when I look at, for example, the Bitcoin NFTs, it's like Bitcoin is the biggest fucking cryptocurrency and it's like not even close, right? And now they have inscriptions, which are like this really incredible way to do NFTs on Bitcoin. It's not just like some side thing. It's on the actual blockchain itself. So when you see something that's like a no-brainer like that, it's pretty exciting. And I think that it takes time for people to understand the impact of it until you just prove it. And so, yeah, like when we launch stuff now, we have such a high bar. If it's not going to get people to go fucking nuts, if it doesn't get people really excited, there's really like no point in doing it. Because... You're competing with a Twitter feed where people have thousands of projects that are just shilling their shit nonstop. And so in order to stand out from the noise, you have to do something that's worthy of talking about. So for me, this is like really specific, but when we're launching something, we ask ourselves, is every like Twitter NFT influencer going to tweet about this because the headline is so obvious they can't not make content about it. And so if you think about it like that, it changes your approach on how you choose what to work on. And if you choose the right things to work on in this space, the space rewards you really heavily because people are looking for exciting things in a space where there's so much of capital, people have no idea where the direction of this thing is going. And so if you do things that get people excited, the outsized asymmetric returns on that is so nuts. It's the only thing that's worth spending time on at this point. So when you announce things from there, right, obviously you know that some people are going to have a great reaction to it. Some people are going to FUD just because FUDing can be fun sometimes on Twitter. So how much do you worry about, like, the negative comments? Do you think about those often? Do you look to see if there's actual, like, merit to what they're saying? Or is it something that if you just have that conviction on what you guys are doing, what the team has done, and what the decision was made, you just kind of roll with it and let, like, the FUD really bother you guys? Yeah, I'm chronically online. So if you guys are tweeting some shit about today... I'll read it. I pretty much read everything on the internet and that's mentioned about D-Gods, about Utes. Because to me, that's like customer research. Like what other industry in the world do you have so many people have opinions about your early stage startup? That's fucking nuts, right? And so I look at it. I think the skill over the last year, and you've been there for some of the dark days and they never go away. People can be really upset, but I think the skill is just getting numb to it. Because for every like 10 negative comments, somebody might have some valid feedback. And they might package it in a really dickhead douchebag way. But if it's valid, it's valid, right? And so I think it's important to read that stuff and just learn from it. Because I actually think it's a benefit that everyone's talking about stuff that we're launching. I would much rather people say negative things and actually talk about us versus the reality that most projects face, which is nobody says anything about it. And we've been in that spot. And that's way worse to be in. So yeah, I think it's just important that there is just commentary and things happening around the brand because without it, it's like oxygen. With no attention, an NFT project dies. And so I think it's important to always be fostering attention. 
There we go. So when you guys first started seeing the Bitcoin ordinals kind of coming to be, what was your original thought on those? Did you think they were going to do well? Did you think this was something that was going to be a fad? Like, obviously, we know you're a huge Bitcoin max. You love Bitcoin. But with that, did you think this is an opportunity for us? Because the 535 burn D gods that you guys decided to revive, we've all kind of known in the community that for the last year that these were going to come back at some point. We just didn't know how exactly that was going to come to be, right? So when exactly did you realize there's a huge opportunity with Bitcoin? We've got something that we can do with this and it's truly going to be something super special. Two weeks after Ordinals came out, first week I was like early inscriptions, 20,000. And I was like, oh, I don't know, this is whatever. It looks like dog shit. <laughs> and then like from 20,000 to 50,000 inscriptions, I was like, fuck, this is like on the Bitcoin blockchain. People are bidding on the block space. This is kind of sick. How can we do this in a mind blowing way? So when we talked to Luxor Mining, the mining team that we work with on this, we talked to him about this idea of doing it all in one block. And when he said it was possible, but they'd have to do something that's never been done in Bitcoin history before, which is like literally design artistically and construct a block, I was like, fuck it, sign me up. We kind of negotiated, we got the price to two Bitcoin, but he could have said any number and I would have been like, fuck it, let's go. So let's go, we got a good deal on it. But it was a no brainer to me, man. Like Bitcoin is king. And the only reason any of this shit even exists in this whole crypto space is because of Bitcoin and Bitcoin is just going to keep getting bigger. So the idea that people are going to want or not want digital artifacts that are built that are on the Bitcoin blockchain, like it's ludicrous to me to think that people are not going to want Bitcoin artifacts. And the way that the protocol of ordinals has been done is so elegant. I think it's just like a no brainer. The question then became, how do we do this in the right way? That's authentic. And I'm really, really happy because Bitcoin means a lot to me that it seems like even the Bitcoin community is hyped about the way that we did this. We paid the miners a lot. You had DGENs paying a lot in gas fees to get on that mint. And dude, it makes me really happy that people are paying off their fucking student loans and their wedding bills and all that stuff because that's what really gets me going every morning. Like, that's crazy. We could change some lives. Like, that's what really matters at the end of the fucking day. You have questions about blockchain? Like, how big of a block can you chain without throwing out your back? Or if you received that chain letter, how did you block it? And does blockchain taste better, barbecued or deep fried? <laughs> Luckily, you don't have to ponder these quandaries alone anymore because Blockchain Training Alliance is here to answer them and also train you in real world blockchain issues that will impact your business's bottom line and oriented future forward along the ley lines of the most important tech humanity has perfected since harnessing atomic energy. If you're into those sorts of things, Blockchain Training Alliance is a top leader in the field, counting among its clients IBM, Microsoft, Disney, Morgan Stanley, and many more, and offering a wide array of technical and non-technical courses. Whether you're a computer neophyte training for an incredible career in this new space, or a coding expert honing your skills, Blockchain Training Alliance will help you steer your ship home safely, filled with treasure. <laughs> Arg. So hurry and sign up for the Blockchain Training Alliance course that best fits your needs at blockchaintrainingalliance.com. Use discount code EDGEOF for 50% off and start your next block today. The mint day of Bitcoin ordinals felt a lot like the original mint day for D-Gods. And it was funny watching how much money people put into gas in there. I think somebody spent $3,000 on gas for mint. It's like got to be a record in like Bitcoin fees. Yeah, yeah. So what was Mint Day like for you? Were you nervous? Like this is something that was really, had never really been done. I don't think most people who even minted the Bitcoin D-Gods that day really knew what they were doing. It was a lot of like people asking questions up until like 20 minutes before the Mint. So what was Mint Day like for you? And did you breathe a sigh of relief when everything 
everything went through, you knew it was all 100% set and it worked out perfect? Dude, it was like, it was lock-in. We had a skeleton team because most of the team's working on this migration to ETH, which is coming up really soon. But it was like a skeleton team on the Bitcoin D-God stuff. And we were just kind of on Google Meet calls for eight, nine hours a day for the whole week leading up to it, putting in all the designs, making it like really on the fly. And so when it got to mint day, it was like day five of a fucking monster sprint. And so just running on fumes, but just fully locked in. And so I had the monitor set up with a mempool, with a Discord chat, with support tickets, and we were just in control center. So didn't have a lot of time to think about any of the implications of it up until the mint happened. I was definitely nervous. Maybe it doesn't sell out. Maybe people aren't hyped about it. But I was confident in what we were offering in the product. And I felt like, man, this is so historic. And I didn't think the mint would go so crazy where we'd break records and literally break the Bitcoin blockchain, which let's fucking go. Bitcoin D-Gods broke Bitcoin. But yeah, you can't expect the upside of like how crazy it gets. But I was pretty confident that this is a fair deal to the market. And the market usually responds really well to fair deals. So I felt like even people were complaining about the mint price, but it was fair to me. And I think to a lot of people, obviously, it sold out three times over, had to put out, had to do a lot of refunds. But yeah, man, just hyped to see them do well in secondary. Because that's what really matters. Like, I want people to make money on our shit. Like, that's important to me. I care about that in the same way for a lot of things. So, yeah, that's just really dope. Do you think that's the most money ever transacted via spreadsheet we've ever seen? The $2.5 million trading volume over a fucking spreadsheet. Yeah, I mean, it is nuts. And it's like this idea of just keeping it simple. Because what's magical about Bitcoin, it, the friction is kind of what makes it cool. You have guys that are clowning on people for bidding like 0.91 Bitcoin on it. Like they're getting clown emojis if they try to bid underneath the floor. So it's kind of funny. But yeah, I'm not surprised at this point. The D-Gods community is just different. I tweet about it. It's beyond me at this point, man. I don't know how to, you can't stop it. So it's pretty crazy to see them do it like this on Bitcoin. Do you think there's going to be any future D-Lab projects on Bitcoin? Is this the end of Bitcoin? Or do you think at some point, maybe we have some Utes on, on Bitcoin? Maybe we have another project on Bitcoin? Is there let's anything get, like that? Let's get Utes on Dogecoin. No, I don't know yet right now. I think we're focused on the migration. Let's crush ETH. Let's take shit over there. And then let's go Polygon and make that a really strong ecosystem. That's where my head is at right now. And we're just locked in on that. Like that's mission one. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about migration. So I believe it was on Christmas. You guys announced that D-Gods were going to be bridging over to Ethereum and that Utes were going to be bridging over to Polygon. Can you talk about what went into that decision, why that decision was made, and why you feel like that's the best course of action for the projects? Yeah, I've been saying, I think 2023 is the year of FAFO, fuck around, find out. And I think for us, very, very controversial, speculative, whatever, but I do think that we capped out a little bit on Soul. I think when you looked at the D-Gods market cap, it was bigger than the next 10 projects combined on Solana. And so I felt like there was a little bit of a challenge there. Even right now, Bitcoin D-Gods, 535 supply, the market cap would be the number three biggest Solana project right now. So I do think that there's a liquidity crunch happening on Solana. I think there's a lot of incredible projects on there. So it seemed like a no-brainer to take D-Gods to ETH. When we thought about Utes to Polygon, we just saw that there was so much of opportunity with all of these massive brands building on Polygon, and they had no avenue and no place to really take them, and no NFT project to anchor. So it's definitely a risky bet. Polygon is early as fuck. Not a lot of trading volume on there. You kind of just have the Trump NFTs and uh, Reddit. And yeah, but that excites me a lot because it's a fun challenge. And I think hopefully the Bitcoin D-Gods thing shows that we're not just trying to launch shit and just throw it out there. We care way more about how the thing does after the launch. And so we want to build a strong ecosystem on Polygon. And I think that the upside of doing that 
is untapped and massive. So that's the goal with Utes. So can you talk about the timeline of this decision? Because I feel like a lot of people saw the FTX crash and how that affected Solana, and they thought that that decision was made basically at that point in time. So can you give kind of the timeline of when you thought, like, I guess the bridge idea kind of came to be and when you actually started putting in work to making that happen? I'm not going to lie, FTX fucking sucked. <laughs> like, that was a bad day. But we've been talking about moving multi-chain and doing stuff like this for a long time. I think when we first started talking K-Money, back around when we started doing Duppies, around that time, was when we felt a little bit of growing pains on Solana, especially at Utlist when DGods for the first time became like a top five project on any blockchain. We did feel like a little bit of that, man, are we being capped being on this chain? Just in terms of liquidity, market cap, volume, all the TVL, all this stuff. And I think FTX accelerated the decision for sure. Because for context, Dust Labs, on the other side, we had a lot of potential customers. We had contract sign and all this stuff for future mints, a lot of expected revenue there. And all of them canceled after FTX. I think the hidden pain for a lot of projects post FTX is not talked about enough on Twitter. But a lot of people closed shop. A lot of businesses went under. You're seeing more and more things close down now. So I think we were quick to move on it for sure. But that's just our MO, man. Quick to move on ordinals. Quick to make a move. Because the opposite of that is going slow. And going slow in this industry, I really do think, equals death. And I think you're seeing a lot of projects this year that thought they should take it safe during the bear market, that they should like play it slow. You're seeing them kind of get wrecked right now. And I don't want that to happen to DGAs, and I don't want that to happen to Utes, and I don't want that to happen to our holders. So we're in heavy aggression mode this year. So social relevancy is a big thing with that, right? So you guys announced the move, the bridge over, and then that was in December. We're in March now. When exactly is that bridge occurring? And is it well planned out that, I guess, you announce something like that and it becomes this, like, hotbed subject for the next, like, few months, keeping the D-Gods, keeping Utes socially relevant? Everybody's got a, a comment. They're all going to make those comments during that time. So do you make that announcement knowing, like, it's going to cause, it's going to give people something to talk about, which, once again, is something that you said is important, like having people discussing the projects and things like that. So is that why the decision is made to kind of give people that, like, something to talk about, which keeps, once again, the project relevant? I think that relevance is like the bare minimum, right? Like without relevance, it's really hard to grow and make big moves. I think relevance is like the bare minimum. I think for me, I look at it pretty intensely of, hey, is this going to get more people to want to buy and hold a D-God or a U? And you have to get creative in order to do that. But I feel like we're pretty strict on the things that we launch. Shouldn't just be like, oh, we are doing this cool collaboration and now everyone's going to all of a sudden want a D-God. Like that's not what actually moves the needle. It's providing value, it's creating incredible experiences, and it's connecting the holders so they get really tight together. These are real needle movers to me. And yeah, like I think the relevance part is the bare minimum. Like You have to hit that point. But after that, what is going to make a D-God or a Ute something that people really want to have and like make the desire of that go up? And the only way to do that, I've found, is to make the experience of the holders so good that they just talk about it. They're telling their friends, dude, this is fucking dope. You got to get in. And that's where most people buy expensive NFTs at this point. It's almost always from a friend. It's almost always from like a trusted influencer. It's almost always from these trusted resources. So you can't fake that at the end of the day. You have to just make a great experience. And that's what moves the needle. And yeah. Hey there, NFT space cadet. Let's zoom in on the globe from outer space today to Abbott Kinney Boulevard in Venice Beach, L.A., let me show you a cosmic tech beacon that shines out among the bustle of fashion, art, and food there. 
It's a thriving software dev, data science, and design studio known as AE Studio, where scores of the sharpest minds have come together to help founders and execs create software and machine learning solutions that are not only profitable and increase our agency as humans, but that give us that warm, fuzzy feeling that elegant tech so wonderfully does. AE's breadth of talent allows them to build anything from instillvideo.com It's a health, fitness, and wellness app that makes your chakras tingle to award-winning brain-computer interface solutions that could quite literally bend our minds. Oh, and keep an eye out for Token Runners, their NFT white-label marketplace, as well as our highly anticipated NFT drop, Boomer NFT. Now, for all you DGENs who strive to shed the cummerbund and pearls comes a jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring partnership not seen since the heyday of Shaq and Kobe, It's called Edge of AE Studio, and you can find out all about it at edgeofae.com. That's right, this full-service, soup-to-nuts, end-to-end, whole enchilada NFT service can help you, yes you Randy, launch your NFT project. Edge of NFT and AE Studio have come together like Voltron to get your project in gear so you can hightail it straight to the moon, stardom, and maybe even your own private yacht. Go to edgeofae.com to find out more. That's edgeofae.com. Actual results may vary depending on moon landing location, domain of stardom, scale and model of yacht, as well as weather scale model of yacht or actual yacht. So with the bridge, can you talk about some of the challenges you guys have had to overcome? Because obviously doing something like this is not easy. There's usually a lot of friction with something like that. So can you talk about the challenges that you guys have had to overcome? And then Frank, we need the alpha. When's that bridge happening? Yeah, so in terms of the challenges, the challenges, the biggest one is you want to make sure that people that are buying the D-God on ETH and buying the U on Polygon feel like they are buying an ETH native asset and buying a Polygon native asset. And in order to do that, you have to do something like a burn and mint. So you have to burn it on Solana, you have to mint it on ETH, so that way you don't have this like question of provenance going between chains. And so in order to do that, and have it verified and rebuild all of our staking and like, contracts that we built on Soul. It's kind of just like this map. It starts out feeling really simple and you scope it out and to make sure you have all the edge cases solved for, it's like a process. In terms of when the bridge is happening, I can say that I'm pretty confident we're hitting this Q1 deadline so you guys can do the math on that. My whole philosophy with marketing and crypto Twitter is give people maximum 48 hours. Anything like beyond that, if I say, oh, it's happening next week, People forget about it. Some other shit happens. Some major bank collapses and you've lost the excitement. So like, dude, 48 hours is enough for most people to figure it out. And it creates that FOMO and excitement around it. So that's the alpha I can tell you is like whenever the bridge is going to happen, I'm just going to give you guys a 48 hour warning and then it's going to just go. And can you talk about, I guess, like what can we expect with that whole experience? Like, is there any alpha you can give us on what we should expect when that 48 hour announcement comes? What should we expect with how that's all going to work and how Just it's lower all going to work? Your, I think my whole strat is like lower your expectations. It's going to be horrible. Definitely nothing cool planned for it. And yeah, just have like the lowest bar. So then everyone's mind blown. Because I feel like the Bitcoin mint set the bar too high. It's like, oh, fuck, this thing's going 5x in like a day. You know, just relax a little bit. Let's see what happens. Let's nail the technicals of this. And I think we have some cool stuff planned, but just lower expectations. <laughs> so 
when you guys are making big announcements in the past, it's been something where you guys have given specific dates, right? And on that, we are well known for the delay, right? So is that something where now you guys have kind of decided, hey, let's go with the 48 hour announcement. That way we know it's done. It's ready to go. We can push it live and not something where you kind of set out a date a few weeks ahead of time. And now if that date gets delayed for a matter of reasons, now you've got people who are angry on the timeline all because a specific date was given. Yeah, I think the delay thing is really kind from the community. Like, they basically take us fucking up, and then they make it into a joke, which is kind of, thank you, like, shout out to the fucking holders that do that. But it's not good. So I think we're trying to fix it. I think most of the time when we do delay, it's for the community, and it's for a good reason. For all the things I've talked about throughout this talk, it just matters to me that people feel when D-Gods does some shit, when Utes does some shit, I have to pay attention. And if you do too many mid-launches, you dilute that effect. So we've been through that. We've had a series where we've done a lot of mid stuff. It's no fun. It's not exciting. So that matters a lot. But yeah, I think we're trying a new strategy here. Like, fuck it, 48 hours. By the time we announce the 48 hours, we already have the site live. We've tested it. It's ready to go. And the 48 hours is just so people fucking lose their minds. So that's kind of how I'm thinking about it. So recently you guys announced that D-Labs is going to be hiring for some pretty big positions. So can you talk about what those positions are going to enable like D-Gods and Utes to be able to do moving forward that you guys haven't been able to do currently? Yeah, I think there's two core things. I think one, today the team is four people. And it's like, it's a skeleton crew that has put together a lot of stuff with the D-Gods, D-Labs, especially D-Gods, Utes. And we've been working out of our apartment and now house for like the past year and a half. And I think the point is the brand has gotten so big at this point, it's kind of irresponsible to keep operating it like this, to be totally real. Because what happens is we're working on like the stuff to day-to-day -day maintain the project and do the new shit that's going to blow people's mind at the same time. So the new stuff always ends up getting delayed because we have so many things we're backlogged on that we got to fulfill on all these promises and all this stuff. So I think the team is going to allow us to grow and push and be aggressive on the day-to-day while me and Johnny start focusing more on like season three, Ute season two, the airdrops that we're planning to do, like the next shit that's going to blow people's mind. And I do feel always like, man, those things never get enough time and focus. And so that's, I think, the core high level of what these positions we're going to bring in is going to enable. Yeah, it's going to be tough, though. Growing pains, going from like a bunch of homies in an apartment and a dining table to a real company, I think is going to be interesting to see. But I think at this scale, we are getting some of the top talent in the world looking to work here. And man, there's no way that they're a net negative, right? They're all going to be massive, massive increases in the output for the brand. And we just haven't scaled that yet. So I always feel like we're early days because I know the internals of the company and I know how duct tape together so much of the things that we've done here is, and it all comes from love. So now that we're going to bring on some heavy hitters, I think it's going to make a huge difference and people are not ready to see D-Gods and Utes output at this level. Can you talk about the level of quality of applicants that have been applying? Because I saw something the other day. It was a crazy number of people that have applied for these jobs, right? So I think a lot of times when you think about people who are applying for jobs, you think of like, I don't know, someone like me who's in the community who's like, oh, yeah, I might be able to do that. What level of people, what level of talent are applying for these kind of jobs? A players, man. I mean, I'm trying to think of like what's a good analogy here. But no, it's just very diverse background, right? Like when you're hiring for, I think, any other industry, you don't get as diverse of an applicant group people with music and business and like history, like tech startups, film, all kinds of different backgrounds. And so I think it's just super interesting. But that's the best answer. I don't know. I fair, fair. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, so another big thing with D-Gods and Utes and everything is the IRL meetups, right? And so we had a big event last June in New York. We had another big event in Paris recently. We had another big event last night in LA. So can you talk about the importance of IRL events and also the content that comes with that? Because we've seen some interesting content that always comes from these parties. We've seen people doing the worm. We've seen a mosh pit in New York. So can you talk about the importance of IRL events and why they're so important for D-Gods and Utes? Yeah, I love this topic because I think in the bull market, IRL became the worst buzzword of all time. And I totally was like anti-IRL stuff. We never did any of the IRL stuff early D-Gods. And then what I realized was like, fuck, we have a holder in almost every single country, all these major cities around the world. And if you buy a JPEG on the internet and you can travel to any city in the world and you can have best friends in that city, like that is fucking nuts. Like that is something that has never been able to be done before. And I've seen it happen over and over and over and over again with the D-Gods and the Utes community. So when I think about scaling out and how does this community look when we get bigger and bigger, it's a fucking superpower to be able to go on your phone because of a JPEG that you buy and go to any city in the world and get a VIP experience in that city. So that at a high level is what I think is uniquely powerful about having an NFT community and what it means to have IRL events. I think the IRL events that you're talking about are definitely fun to do. Like we booked out three floors of the best hotel in New York, public hotel for D New York. And that's kind of sick because everyone was going to get a hotel room anyway if they're going to NFT New York. Might as well fucking stay with the gang. Might as well stay with the D-Gods. Like, if you're going to get one, let's all stay together on the same floor. So that should be fun. Some slumber parties, some sleepovers should be cool. But yeah, it's just like, how do you make incredible experiences that people are never going to be able to forget? And content helps with that for sure. But I think if we can deliver that, now you get into the priceless range. So if someone has an experience or meets a best friend, you can't price that shit. Like the impact that meeting somebody that you're going to talk to every day for the rest of your life, what is the dollar value on that? The impact of having a night where people are never going to forget. When people were tweeting, they're never going to forget the Bitcoin mint. And now they're also up fucking 5x on their initial. It's like these are moments that will create loyalty for life. And the more and more things that we can do like that, nobody's fucking with that. Nobody's competing with that. So that's what gets me excited. And that's why we're laser focused on that. There we go. Okay, so we only have time for one more question. So, Frank, this is my favorite thing where you kind of tell us everything that's happening. You tell us the alpha, you give us. So we need to know for holders, for future holders, what should people be excited about in the future with D-Gods, Utes, Dust, everything in between? I just think that the momentum that I'm hearing about with D-Gods is like we've never experienced this, man. Every single thing we've done for D-Gods has always felt like so it's an uphill fucking battle, climbing up a mountain, just trying to get people to give a shit about us. And the amount of energy around D-Gods right now is palpable. And I think with Utes, like the way I look at it is D-Gods are going to be a huge story. That means we're going to start focusing on Utes. It's going to be Utes season two. That's going to go fucking crazy. And that's just how we operate, right? When Utes is coming out, nobody was talking about D-Gods for a long time. Everyone was just talking about Utes. And then you see the power of D-Gods come back. And I think people are just sleeping on that, the way that that rotates and our team's focus. So I think operationally, the way to look out for it is yeah, D-Guys are going to go fucking nuts. We're going to go focus on Utes, Utes Season 2. And at that point, I think we'll have hired a killer team that will allow us to operationalize and scale both of those projects simultaneously as opposed to choosing one to focus on and then going to the next one, which is what we're currently doing. So I think when you look at it like that, it's pretty exciting for the next two to three months. But man, I just haven't felt anything like this D-Guys energy right now. It's fucking nuts. Can't describe it and so grateful for it, man. 
Well, there we go, man. I just want to say as a holder, as a friend, I appreciate everything that you and the team are doing. And I'm super excited about the bridge coming up soon. And we've got a lot of fun things. But I want to say thank you for taking the time today to have this conversation. Thank you all for listening. And let's go. D guys on the fucking moon. And number one on Bitcoin as of like an hour ago. Let's fucking go. Let's fucking go. Okay, we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs today. Thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this starship, so invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. Out, go to iTunes right now, rate us, and say something cool. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. The views and opinions expressed on the Edge of NFT podcast reflect solely those views and opinions of the show creators and its guests. We're learning as we go just like you. Please make sure to do your own research. Our podcast is not financial advice. There are multiple strategies and not all strategies fit all people. You understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk.